Um, as we move into our time for a homily, we uh, are without Jordan this morning. He is in Michigan defending his dissertation for his PhD tomorrow, which is really exciting. Uh, I won't tell him you guys clapped for him. I know he didn't like that last week, but Jordan's great. We're so proud of him. Um, but this morning, uh, in his absence, we'll be hearing from none other than Mr. John Ott. And we are excited to hear from John this morning. Uh, if you have not met the Ott family, they are beloved within our church. Uh, they serve and love in so many ways the people of this community. You saw Josh leading us in worship this morning, Shannon leading us in prayers to the people today, and I'm pretty sure the other Ott's are on host team this morning. So we're grateful for the Ott family, and we're excited to hear from you today, John. Uh, before we move into homily, I will invite up Mr. Biscaglia. Tony, come on up. And we're going to have our scripture reading for the morning. And this is a scripture reading from the gospel. So I'll have you stand with us as we acknowledge that Christ is with us and among us. Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you've found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. David, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, this church community means so much to our family. So today we celebrate Epiphany, which centers around the Nativity. Um, our family has one of those little Fisher-Price little people nativities where you push the button and it plays Silent Night. You know, the Nativity, you see it on people's front yards with the light-up wise men. I think one of my friends in college stole some of the wise men, put them in their trunk. This story is very familiar. Very familiar story. I would say it's probably among the, most, the top five most familiar stories from Scripture, even for people who aren't a part of a church or don't really even believe in Jesus. All right, So we've got the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We've got probably the creation, like Adam and Eve. People know about Adam and Eve. People know about Noah because of the boat and the animals. Know about Moses, let my people go. And then you've got the nativity. It's one of the most familiar stories. And because it's so familiar, it is really easy to miss how amazing this story really is. And today, our hope, our intention in this time is to see this story in a fresh way, to take a new look. You see, Christmas shows us that Jesus came. It's epiphany 
that shows us the significance of his coming. So, the big question I want to invite you into today is this. What kind of a God is this? What does the way Jesus arrived in the world have to say about who God is and what matters to him? I'm sharing this question with you right out of the gate because in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit surfacing in your heart and your mind as you consider this story from a fresh perspective? And I'll be clear with you. I'll be like, okay, now's the time. I want to hear what's emerging because it's a multifaceted insight that comes from this epiphany. Now, to help us see this story anew, I'm going to ask you another question, and I think it's kind of a fun question. So I want you to imagine this. If you were responsible for planning the arrival of the Savior of the world, what would you do? Now, imagine you are not resource-constrained in any way, shape, or form. You have as much money as you want, you have access to as many of the most talented people in the world. You ask and they're going to say yes. You can pick the venue. You can pick the date. You're picking the location. There are no limitations. Oh, and by the way, you have nearly forever to plan. What would you do? If you could, just for a minute, can you set the biblical narrative aside for just a minute and ask yourself the question, if this was your responsibility, how would you do it? I will tell you, candidly, it would be the greatest event the world has ever seen. It would be truly amazing. Now, I want you to think about what is the most grand event you've ever attended? You know, like it might be like a lavish wedding, you know, on destination somewhere. Maybe it's a ticker tape parade or an SEC football game, like I don't know, or, or you two at the Sphere maybe. Uh, so something grand, huge. Now for me, as I was reflecting on this question and I sifted through different experiences I've had in life, the one that just popped up like the crown jewel was the opening ceremonies of the 1996 Summer Olympics. Was anybody else living in Atlanta at that time? All right, this is more of our transplant service, I think. <laughs> so let me take you back. In 1990, I was in sixth grade, and there was a September morning that I was riding the bus to school, and it was a rainy morning, and I know that because if you ever rode the bus, the, the, all the windows were up, and it was, they were all, all the windows were fogged up, and it was really, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. It was that kind of morning, and somebody on our bus had brought a radio, if you remember what those are, and it had a speaker on it, and we were listening to the live broadcast where Juan Antonio Samarak the president of the International Olympic Committee made the announcement. He said, the 1996 Summer Olympics goes to the city of Atlanta. <laughs> and the whole bus erupts. And we're like, we're getting the Olympics. Like sixth graders, we don't know what that means, but it sounds exciting. <laughs> For the next six years, Atlanta goes into full-on planning. So much of the infrastructure and buildings and stadiums that you drive right by every day if you go down through downtown Atlanta, those were built for and during the Olympics. I don't know if you know this, but Turner Field, which is now the old new stadium, it's weird to be old enough for that to be the case, but the old new stadium, it was eventually it was a baseball stadium, but initially they built a temporary grandstand to complete it and make it a full bowl just for the Olympics. And then when the Olympics were over, they took out that part of the grandstand and left it 
as Turner Field. Tremendous planning, tremendous resources. My dad and I got to go to the opening ceremonies, not because we bought a ticket. Tickets were expensive. I don't know why I remember this, but they were $600, $400, and $200. That's $1990. I mean, it'd be a fortune today. We got to sneak in by selling concessions at the opening ceremonies. We actually walked up and down the aisles slinging frozen lemonade. And uh, about halfway through, we put our stuff away and just sat like, like on the back row, standing room, and watched the whole thing unfold. Um, 197 nations of the world were present. It was the first time in Olympic history that many nations showed up. You remember John Williams, who, not our John Williams, wherever he is, but like John Williams, the music conductor, the guy who wrote the score for Star Wars and all these amazing movies, he wrote some special music and then he conducted an orchestra and a choir of world-renowned musicians right there at the opening ceremonies. That is from the opening ceremonies. Doesn't that look like a choir of angels? Incredible. Incredible. Fireworks galore, global TV coverage, the pinnacle of the event. There was this, you know, the worldwide passing of the torch starting in Athens, Greece, and coming around to Atlanta. And this athlete runs the final 400 meters and comes along to these steps and up the steps they go. Nobody knew who was going to light the Olympic torch. And at the last minute, out from behind a column steps Muhammad Ali, arguably the most famous person in the world. And the crowd erupts. And with the Parkinson's that was ravaging his body, he raises the torch and lights the Olympic flame. That's the kind of situation where the Son of God should appear for the first time. Like the stage opens up and the blue angels fly over and he comes up <laughs> and the Avengers come down. I don't know, but it, that kind of thing times 10. Don't you think, like really, don't you think, put the biblical narrative aside. Isn't that how it ought to be? That the Son of God comes? And what actually happened couldn't be further from that kind of thing. I ask you again, what kind of God is this? What does it say? What is the way that Jesus arrived in the world? Say about who God is and what matters to him. You know this story really well. It's very familiar. But let me dust off some details that are pretty easy to miss. The main character in this story is a pregnant, unmarried girl. She's probably 14 or 15, something like that. Everyone in her community would have assumed that she conceived that baby the way every other baby in the history of the world had been conceived up to that point. I don't think many people bought her story about where that baby came from. She was pretty misunderstood. This girl Mary, she's not from the big city of Jerusalem. She lived in a podunk village on the outskirts of a little region called Judea that was occupied by the Roman Empire. Even her own people didn't control where they lived. At the very end of this young girl's pregnancy, she has to take a 70-mile donkey ride to a city that's foreign for a village that's foreign for her. Now we've had four kids. And at that point in my wife's pregnancy, she didn't want to ride on a cloud, let alone a donkey. 
The man that she goes there with isn't even her husband. It's a guy she's pledged to be married to, a guy who in his heart was like, I think I, think I need to divorce this woman quietly. Now this detail I'm imagining a little bit, but dads, fathers, have you ever been in a situation where the circumstances were such that you couldn't provide for your family? So they show up in this new town, and I can imagine Mary looking at Joseph and saying, so where are we staying? Where'd you make reservations? And he's like, "Uh, I thought we'd just kind of work it out when we got there. And they go around town knocking doors, and there's no room. Can you imagine as a dad, as a father, what he's feeling on the inside? The panic, the shame of not being able to provide a place for his pregnant wife to deliver a baby, let alone the Son of God. So they end up in the equivalent of like a garage or a storage unit. And that is where the Son of God comes into the world. His first bed was a feed bucket. His newborn clothes were rags. All this happened in near total obscurity. The people that you would have expected to get it, missed it. The people who did get it were astrologers from another country. You know, astrologers like stargazers, like horoscopes. These are the people who saw a new star, and it was so compelling to them. By the way, a new star, huh? I don't know. We have the James Webb telescope, and nobody, we're not seeing new stars. A new star appears. They notice it, and it's so compelling that they make a 600-mile journey from present-day Iraq to Jerusalem. And when they show up, and they go, hey, where's this new king born? We, we saw his star. The leader of that area freaks out. The whole area freaks out. Herod confers, and like, yep, this is where the baby's going to be born. And so those wise men, those astrologers, take the next few steps into the baby's hometown. But nobody, the Jews who had been waiting on Jesus for eternity, didn't even make a one-day trip to check this out. And of course, you know, Herod was so fearful that he, he issued an order that all of the male babies, two years and un- under, were to be killed. Now Luke tells us that there was a glorious angelic host that appeared. But that angelic host did not appear in downtown Jerusalem or in the Colosseum of Rome where plenty of people could have seen it. The angels show up in a field to a little group of shepherds. It was the right idea, just the wrong place. When you take this story in, it sounds like a mess. Sounds like a bad dream. You know that bad dream where you're like, go back to college and you haven't done your assignments and it's test day or you're supposed to stand up and give a sermon and you don't have any notes? And it's like an afterthought. It doesn't even feel like something that was thrown together at the last minute. It just feels like a mess. Unless, unless it was meticulously and exquisitely designed by a God who wanted to clear things up once and for all. Jesus 
is what God has to say. And in how Jesus came, God said a lot. So now I'm asking you, what's emerging for you as you're considering this story freshly? What kind of a God is this? What does the way Jesus arrived in this world say about who God is and what matters to him? kind of God is this? Authentic. Authentic. No need for pretense. Thank you, John. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Thank you, Keely. What was that? Did I hear somebody else? Almighty. Almighty. What a juxtaposition that Almighty would show up vulnerable. Thank you. Say that again. Everlasting. Everlasting. His ways are not our ways. Near. Near. Not content to observe from afar. Like the song, Baby Son, not ashamed to become one of us. Gave up his right to his position for the people he loved. Humble. Humble. I don't know that it's much of a stretch to say that he came in a way that was lower than any of us showed up in the world. He's a friend of the brokenhearted. He's a friend of the weak. Was that? I'm sorry, one more time. For, for everyone. Thank you. Yes. Understanding of our weakness. He moved first, didn't he? He moved first. He said, you know what? I'll come to you right where you are. I'm not going to make you come to me. Thank you, Courtney. We're going to move towards communion in just a minute. We're going to move towards communion in just a moment to feast on and meet with this Jesus. This Jesus who came to us. Who came low to show us the heart of the Father. And in a room like this, with everything that's going on in your world, I, I don't know how you're coming in today. 
man, it's quite possible that for some of us here today, it's a mess. Everything's gone sideways. The way life is right now is not how you drew it up. To you, God says, I'm here, and I'm with you, and I'm going to walk this out with you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you are more in that place where you feel like the Lord has entrusted something very special to you that is also daunting, more than you can hold. To you, he says, I am here. I am with you, and we're going to walk this out together. Maybe you feel like an outsider. You kind of feel like a misfit. You feel like you don't quite belong. God says, I'm with you. I'm here. We're going to walk this out together. Maybe he has shown you, figuratively, a new star in the sky, and your pulse is quickened, and he's beckoning you to a new adventure And it's scary and exciting. That God says to you, I'm here, I'm with you, and we're going to walk this out together. Wherever you are and however you're showing up, he is here. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is epiphany. Epiphany is the, oh, so that's how this works. Oh. That's the true nature of things. Oh, that's who God is.